Thank you. Thank you, Haley. Such a blessing to be a part of this amazing, giving, loving family here at Victory. A lot of great things that are happening. I'm, I'm excited about the All Access Leadership Night. I hope that you'll be there. I guarantee there's going to be some exciting new stuff, maybe a couple surprises. Everybody's going to leave with something new in their hand, uh, maybe a couple things. So we hope to have everybody out for that evening. Uh, man, I'm telling you, I'm excited about going back to school, just hearing what all we're going to be doing. Um, Pastor Haley's doing an awesome job with our children's ministry here, and this is our outreach this year to be able to fill backpacks for children in need in a couple of schools already cooperating with them. So it's great opportunities. That miracle offering we took up last, Ju uh, last November of 2012, that's right, this is 2013, that money is still being used. This will be our next big project as a community outreach here into Marion, West Memphis. So we're excited about that. Would you stand with me please once more this morning? Tremendous time in worship in the presence of the Lord. But I want to look today just for a moment to our primary text, our key text to the gospel of Mark is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. You know this by now, but let's find a screen. Say it heartily together, everyone. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, we're reminded this morning of the unspeakable gift which the Father has given to us. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you actively obeyed the Father and you came. You lived a perfect life, a sinless life, impeccable before everyone. You moved into the neighborhood. We saw how you lived. Men and women's lives were changed and transformed because of the demonstrative power of the gospel. It was more than words. Thank you that the gospel is the life-changing, history-making good news of Jesus Christ. I just acknowledge before you and everyone hearing me that I can't do anything apart from you. But we're grateful today, Lord, that we are not apart from you, that you live and move and dwell in us, and it's in you that we have our being. And God, we just ask you today to take charge in this service, take charge of my thoughts, and Lord, my, my words, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Lord, take charge of the listener's ears, Lord, to give them understanding, their eyes to see and perceive. God will be careful to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I want to look at Mark chapter 6 this morning. We're just moving right along through these amazing teachings of Jesus and the feats, the stories of the, the dunamis, the power of God that has been demonstrated. And this particular passage is... One that sort of changes the flow. We've seen Jesus speak to the wind and the waves, take the disciples on a boat ride, command the weather and the natural elements obeyed him. He gets out at the dock on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, puts his foot on the dock and there's a nearby cemetery. A crazy man comes out. Jesus speaks to the, demon, the demoniac, to the demons, the legion, the riding mob of demons inside one man who couldn't be restrained. One man who was bloody and ran naked. One man who terrorized the community, who lived among everything that was death and dark. Jesus showed his power over the supernatural by driving the forces of evil out of that man into a herd of pigs. They went crazed down a steep hillside into the sea and drowned. Last week, 
Jesus demonstrated that he had power over disease and power over death in a story that was woven together of two women, an older poor woman who had given all she had trying to pay doctors so that she could be treated and so that she could get healed of her constant discharge of blood, anemic, weak, sickly. She takes the risk of faith, moves through a crowd, touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Power goes out of him. Jesus has gotten the attention his attention, rather, has been gotten by a leader of the synagogue, Jairus. Jairus grabs him, takes him on the way to his house, and this whole thing happens with the little old lady. And Jairus' daughter is almost at the point of death. At that last second, he gets news from the house. It says, don't bother the teacher any longer. Your little girl is dead. And from that story, we learned that Jesus showed us that we don't have to be afraid, only believe that if we would put our trust in God, we can take a risk of faith. We can step out beyond the known realm into the unknown and that faith will make a demand on the promise and the power and the provision of God. Somebody say amen. amen. So that's a real quick synopsis, brings us up to where we are. And today, Jesus is still in Mark 6 preaching the gospel, but he makes a special visit. He goes back to the place where he grew up. And you're going to see a very different kind of scenario here take place. Faith has been rising in the hearts of people all around the whole region of Galilee. It's actually being echoed beyond that. And people are hearing about this prophet, this potential Mashiach, this Messiah who may have come on the scene, this one who has not just religious principles or teaching or dogma or doctrine, but he is able to demonstrate the principle with the power of God. This gospel which he's talking about is changing every life that it comes in contact with. And so Jesus takes a trip back home. So look with me this morning to Mark chapter 6. And we're reading from the message. And it says, He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. And this was their response. They said, we had no idea he was this good. How did he get so wise all of a sudden? How did he get such ability? And so they're pretty much overwhelmed at his ability to capture the crowd, his articulation. And so the, the, the scripture says here in the message, it says, but in the next breath they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. Why? That's just Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. And who does he think he is? So in one minute, they're excited about him. And then in the next moment, they're cutting him down because they think they have a read on who he is. And this is, I love the translation here, the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson gives. What, what it says in the ESV, it says, they took offense at him. Now notice what he says. They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell, sprawling, and they never got any further. Now notice, that's what offense will do to you. We trip at it, and we aren't, we aren't able to advance. It causes us to get stuck in one place in our spiritual lives. When we get offended at the Lord, somebody says, what do you mean, offended at God? Well, they got offended at God here. We're going to talk about that in the message this morning. And it says they weren't able to get any further. Jesus told them a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives on the streets he played in as a child. Now look at the result because of this. Jesus wasn't able 
Those are frightening words to me, folks. Jesus wasn't able. Now, we know that we have a Savior who embodies the all ability of God, the omnipotence of God. But in this instance, in his own hometown, say those first three critical words, Jesus wasn't able. And look on as we go. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed him, healed them. That's all. So it's really sort of a mediocre result from what he was hoping to be a great reception in his own hometown. Which, who can tell me what that was? What was that? Starts with an N. Nazareth. Okay, very good. So he goes back to Nazareth. And we want to remember that that's where he grew up. Now, that's not where he was born. Where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy from the book of Micah. Micah 5, verse 2. And there is even a built-in offense in that. Because people are asking the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, this is Jesus' response. He looks at these folks and he, the Bible says here, he couldn't get over their stubbornness. He left and he made a circuit of the other villages teaching. And then from this point on, this is where Jesus begins to call his team. And I want to go ahead and read and get this part out of the way. Jesus called the twelve to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with the evil opposition. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. I love that. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor right now. Say, you are the equipment. Okay, so Jesus is delegating authority. He is, he is giving his disciples everything that he has. He's giving them himself. He is making an investment. He is infusing them with authority and with power. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. He says, you don't need to think that you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. Wow. That would do a few TV preachers some good today to hear those words right there. And no luxury ends. Man, I know a few preachers that could try to square up with that. No luxury ends. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. And then he starts to talk about how they are going to be received. Notice the first section is how Jesus is received in his own hometown. The second section, he's sending out his 12 and he's going to talk about how they are received. And there is a direct correlation between the two. If you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw, don't make a scene, Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. The, the King James says, shake the dust off your feet. In other words, just everything that has to do with that town, leave it there. Don't carry a grudge. Don't carry resentment. Shake it off and just move on. Okay? He says, then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Everybody say radically different. Last verse. He says, and they sent the demons packing. I, I, I missed something there, okay? They were, life can be radically different right and left. They sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies, healing their spirits. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. So you, you've got the story here. Jesus shows up in his own hometown. And and the reception at first is really kind of exciting. They're going, wow, man, this, this dude has uh, done his homework. He's pretty impressive. He is absolutely 
amazing. And when Jesus goes home, what I want you to see first of all this morning on the very first principle is that Jesus showed up in his own hometown and he shocked them all with his giftings. They are responding by saying, how did he get so good? What's happening here? I mean, he's, he is taking the law of God. He's speaking from the prophets. He's giving a lecture. And I'm telling you, he has the command of the congregation. He is holding them in the palm of his hand. But now wait a minute. This is the, the little punk that grew up right here in town with us. I went to school with him. I, I, I was in, I, I in Miss Matthew's soci, uh, social sciences class with him. And I, and I know his daddy had the carpenter shop down there across the tracks on the bad part of town. Who does he think he is? And, and this is the amazing thing that, that's taking place here as Jesus goes back home to his own hometown. At first they're amazed with his giftings and they're literally overwhelmed going, what is going on? What has happened here? But this is what happens in the second principle that I want you to see. Because the people of Nazareth refuse to let go of the past and how they thought they knew him, they were offended at him. I want you to read that whole principle with me. Here we go. Because the people of Nazareth refused to let go of the past and how they thought they knew him, they were offended at him. And this is such an important message when it comes to our maturing in the gospel. Because Jesus has built in some automatic places of offense. Jesus himself in the scripture is referred to as a stumbling block and a rock of offense. The Greek word is scandalon. We get our English word scandalize from it. It basically is, you know what? They take a picture and Jesus comes home to his own hometown, but he ends up on National Enquirer Israel. And they're scandalized. They're offended at him. And scandalon literally was the mechanism. It's like that little trigger on the trap of your mousetrap, that little bitty tiny spot right there that, that once you load that place with the cheese and then you take, stretch that bar back and then you put that little hinge point in there, that little thing, you know that you better not touch that cheese with your finger because you're going to be screaming something, probably not the praises of the Lord. That little mechanism right there is called the scandalon. It is the trigger. It is the mechanism that causes you to get stuck in the trap. And this is what happens to us when we get into a place of personal offense. And it can be an offense at God and it can be an offense at our brothers and sisters, which, by the way, is the picture of the cross, which itself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says the preaching of the cross is a stumbling block, Greek word scandalon. The cross is an offense to people. The Apostle Paul talked about the offense of the gospel. Jesus has with him, when he brings the good news of the gospel, if it is communicated to a group of people that are performance-driven and that are law keepers as opposed to recognizing their desperate, bankrupt need for God... And the reality that it's only by His grace and even by the faith that activates to receive that grace and even you didn't start out with that. He gave you that faith in the first place. And I, help me, Holy Spirit, to pull back and settle down a little bit. Because it, it is amazing to me how God has ordered my steps at different places in my life to see if I was going to step on the trap of offense and get offended because let me tell you something God will lead you to the cross and before you can receive the grace of the Savior you've got to kiss the cross and get a mouthful of splinters and you've got to receive the offense of the cross 
The preaching of the cross is to the Jews weakness. It's an offense. It's a stumbling block. And it's only if they can get past that offense and not get caught in that trap. It is the power of God into salvation. But yet to the Greeks, it is just this idea of foolishness. And it's the, they're looking for wisdom. And, and it, it's, it's the wisdom of God that has been hidden. It's, it, it has been obscured. It's in a mysterious place. And it's not until you get past what looks like complete foolishness that then you see the wisdom of God. And I want you to realize this, that God takes you through steps in your journey to mature you and He will utilize the places where you can get offended because God will Himself offend your head in order to reveal your heart. Sometimes it's not until our heads get offended that the contents of our hearts don't empty out. It's in that place of offense where all of a sudden we get very transparent. And they were trapped. They were caught in the scandalon. They had stepped on the... The, the trigger and they tried to take a bite of the cheese and they got caught in the trap. This is not possible. We know him. We know who he is. We know his past. We know the family that he grew up in. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mama and his daddy. And we remember the whisperings about whether or not he was even a legitimate child back from way back there. And we know his past. And who does he think he is? And they got offended at Jesus. How many times do we get offended sometimes at the, even the promise of God because it doesn't come the way that we expect it? And I remember John himself, the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist in Matthew 11 because he's in prison and he sends word. He says, are you the one? We had hoped that you were the one. And basically John is saying, if you really are the one and you're going to raise up a kingdom, then come get my carcass out of this jail. Jesus told his disciples said, go back and tell John that the, the blind see and the deaf hear and the poor have the gospel preached unto him. And oh, tell him one more thing. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Blessed is he who doesn't get trapped in the scandal on. Blessed is he who is not scandalized because you expected something in your life and the way I showed up was not quite what you expected. I'm helping somebody this morning. It's passages like this that make me love expositional preaching. Because if I just out of the blue pick this one, you would think that I was loaded for bear for somebody. And honest to goodness, the Lord knows my heart. I have absolutely nobody in mind. You want to know why? Because this is universal. I have been there. I have, I have stepped for the cheese. I have gotten offended. I have been offended at God. And I have been offended at His people. I have been in that place. And when I get in that place, I trip and fall over what I think I know about God. I trip and fall over what I think I know about you. And when I do that, then I go sprawling and I never do get any further until I learn to get past that place of personal offense, until I can get the scandal off of me, until I can get the smell of all that stinky foot cheese that I've been chewing on. And I'm able to say, God, wash me with grace, forgive me. Lord, I know that I have offended you. And it's a recognition that in the midst of a God who will offend my head to reveal my heart, He will take me to the cross, to a place of offense. He will introduce me to Jesus who the Bible Himself calls, the Bible itself calls the stumbling block and the rock of offense, the rock of scandal on. You're walking along a path and all of a sudden, you trip. And you go sprawling. And you know why you trip? You know why God has designed for you to trip? Because when you trip, you usually, before you get back up, you're sitting there in a place of surrender, in a posture, being on your knees in terms of saying to God, I recognize I'm not anything apart from you. 
And it's in that place of offense where I surrender my own strength, my own will, my own ability, my own thought processes, my expectations. Sometimes as a leader, that's one of the hardest things to navigate is the expectations of people. When there are unrealized expectations that are legitimate, then I would encourage you to pray. And I would encourage you to take it to the person, whether it's to me, a pastor, someone overhead of one of our ministries, one of our home group leaders, life group leaders, one of our shepherds, your team leader, you're offended at somebody. There is a righteous biblical way to respond to that and to deal with that and to not trip and go sprawling and then be stuck in a place where you never do get any farther. Some people have been stuck in a place of offense for 30 years. This is what breaks my heart when I see people repeating and doing what they did to Jesus himself. And I think, who do I think I am if they did this very thing to Jesus because he, he, they expected him, but he, he didn't show up the way they expected him. Listen, the Pharisees loved Jesus as long as he was a prophecy, as long as he was something to long for. But when he walked in on the scene, when, when he who by his spoken word declared the worlds into being, when he walked into their presence, he wasn't what they expected and because he showed up in a different form, in a different way and said things they didn't expect him to say. They took offense at him and they missed out what he was bringing them. Are you hearing me this morning? Point number three, this is what happens when we get offended. Look at this. Their limited view of him restricted what he could do for them. Help me, Holy Ghost. Help me, Holy Spirit, to communicate something so critical today because when I limit my view of God, it limits what He can do for me. Their limited view of Him restricted what He could do for them. And this is, this is so amazing that th those words are even recorded in the Bible. It says in the King James, He could do not many mighty deeds in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Message translation says right here, Jesus wasn't able. That, that's just hung like a cloud over me this week. Knowing that, you know, it's so easy for me to sit up here and preach this. It's easy for you to sit there in, in, in judgment uh, of people 2,000 years ago and think, well, you know what, if Jesus grew up in my hometown and he walked in, man, I could really probably receive him and not get offended at him. How many of you know we would have been doing the exact same thing those hometown folk did? When we can't let go of the past and what we think we know about someone, our own limited view hinders what that person is able to do for us. Now, look, there's a critical principle here that I'm wanting you to see this morning. This is not a long message in these 13 verses because we're going to talk about Jesus and how we receive Him. And then we're going to talk about His delegates, His delegated authority, the people that He is empowered to come into your life to minister to you like He sent out the 12. This is the principle that I want you to get. It's in italics there in the very middle of your notes. And it says this. It says, how you receive the gift of God determines whether you can or will receive any of His gifts. Whether I hear Jesus and I'm impressed and I let myself kick into gear. Now, wait a minute. I know who He is. I grew up with Him. I was in sixth grade with Him. It's whether or not I can get past the things that have been whispered here or there about Him. It's whether or not I 
recognize that this thing that is of God is greater than my own natural understanding. There's a verse that I asked Josh to include that does not appear in your notes. And I want you, if you would, Josh, please to go back and give me that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Now note the passage because it's going to be very important as we get on down into the 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What was the problem with the people? They were looking at Jesus after the what? Everybody say the flesh. They were regarding Him. They were looking at Him according to the flesh. We know His parents. We know His brothers. James, Justice, Jude, Simon, his sisters. We know all these. We know the family. We know the mama. We know the carpenter daddy. We know the the talk in the town that was here 30 years ago about him and all the whispering that went on and and a 15-year-old girl that was pregnant outside of wedlock. We know all the stuff. We know the mistakes that this family quote has supposedly made. And that was another little piece of cheese on a trigger, a scandalon, to see if people would eat that and get offended and not be able to get around it into the promise of God. Because you know, I know, that he was born of God. That he was completely legitimate in his birth. Born of the Holy Spirit, the seed of God in him. Nothing in terms of any kind of improper behavior whatsoever but there was this talk and that talk was just one more scandal and it was just one more potential a place for offense and how many of you know we are literally uh, the, the places where we walk are littered with them opportunities to get offended at our leaders opportunities to get offended at our brothers and sisters to get offended at our parents to get offended at our children to get offended at our bosses and our spouses and our best friends Relationships are riddled with these because people are just people and none of us are God. We're certainly not Jesus. We have Jesus on the inside of us. Are you hearing me this morning? This is a critical message. This is a critical message that determines how we receive this, whether we can really build true community of grace in this place whether we can really receive each other, whether I'm going to be looking at my brothers and sisters completely after the flesh Because I know their past. And after all, you know the best predictor for future behavior is past behavior. You know, that's a completely humanistic principle that works, but it it has no bearing whatsoever on what the gospel can do in terms of transforming your life. So if I'm always bound in a humanistic kind of thinking, in a philosophy of man, of vain deceit, and I'm looking at my brother and my sister and I'm seeing them after the flesh and I know what they struggle with, and I'm always suspicious that I'm not looking at them through eyes of faith. I'm not looking at them and seeing them in Christ. And that's critical. It says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. This is what the Apostle Paul says. From now on we regard, we look at no man after the flesh. There was one time when we actually looked at Jesus after the flesh, but now we see beyond that. We got past the trip of Scandalon, the trigger on the trap. And we see outside of the foolishness of the cross and we see the power that that cross, the power that was obscured in the foolishness, in the weakness of the world. Jesus made the mighty to bow before him. In the foolishness of the world, Jesus made the wise to bow before him. All of these things were obscured. They were hidden and we had to get past an experience that caused us to trip and bow our knee and to kiss the cross and come away with a mouthful of splinters that temporarily offended us until we were able to say, God, touch my heart, change my life, help me see with fresh eyes. 
Moving on. Second section after this principle is how you receive the gift of God determines whether you can or will receive any of his gifts. Three more principles this morning and I'm finished. Jesus sends out the team and we read that from the message. And what I want you to see is he basically reminds them, he says, you know what, you don't have to have a bunch of special equipment, you are the equipment. And Jesus was sending every one of these on a special mission. Everybody say this with me. I'm called on a mission. Say it together. I am called on a mission. God has called every believer with a specific challenge to accomplish something very powerful for the sake of the gospel. And when God calls you to mission, He doesn't leave you powerless. He gives you some things. He gives you, first of all, authority. Everybody say authority. Two blanks follow. Responsibility and resources. And this is a real indicator right here. It's this threefold circles that are all sort of overlapping. Authority, responsibility, resources. That's the place on your job where all of those intersect. The authority that you've been given, the responsibility to call the shots, to make the decisions, to be a steward over whether something succeeds or fails, and to take personal responsibility. And then finally, the resources, the goods, the people, the money, the finance, all of the stuff, the equipment, everything that you need. Jesus gives us all of those things. He delegates His authority. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. He says, now therefore go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And he says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So his power is with us. His authority is upon us. And he's given us the responsibility. We have the resources. We have the responsibility. We have the authority. Jesus has delegated his power now to a many-membered body of Christ, to a whole group of people. What was taking place there among the 12, who were the first ones, takes place in your life when you are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. He anoints the 12. He delegates authority in them. He sends them out. Guess what? That same thing now is extended to you. And every time the body of Christ grows when someone else is born of the Spirit into the kingdom of God. That's just a very clear principle. Now, this is what Jesus says. You know what? In the very same way, in the very same breath that he is not received in his own hometown and Jesus wasn't able to do many mighty things. He laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. That's all he was able to do. He marveled, the Bible says, at their stubbornness. Another translation says, at their lack of faith. Another one says, at their unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief in His ability to do what He had come to do. Why? Because how I receive the gift, capital G, the gift of God, determines whether or not I can or will receive any of His little g gifts to me. If I have a restricted view of him and say he no longer heals today, then you know what? I can know that I'm saved, born again, going to heaven when I die, but I can be sick my whole life and never walk in the blessing of the covenant of God because I have a restricted view of what I think he can do for me. Guess what? That restricts what he actually can do for me. In my life, Jesus isn't able. Wow. Do I take the word of God and let it permeate me and move me outside of all of the ridiculous religious things that have been taught to me 
Some, some of them even in every one of our good Christian heritages, and I'm not going to bang on denominations' heads here right now because every one of them has a great heritage. Every one of them has come with a little bit of mixture that we have to grow beyond. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, none of them has a corner on the truth. None of them has all the truth. Usually it takes a blend to really get a good picture of what this thing called the kingdom of God is all about. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you getting anything out of this today? Because this is the kind of message... That, like I said, if I just pull it out of randomly and preach it one Sunday, then people are going, well, what's he trying to speak to? Isn't it great that 6 comes after chapter 5? And it's just there. And this is why I love expositional preaching, because then nobody can go, okay, who's he aiming for this morning? Because I'm not aiming for anybody. That's the truth. And the fact is, I'm aiming for all of us, because we can all get offended at God, and we can get offended at each other. Jesus calls each of us to mission. With the mission, He gives authority, responsibility, and resources. Now look at the second principle. We're moving quickly. How we receive Jesus' delegates is how we receive Jesus. Now, how I receive the gift of God Himself determines whether I can receive His gifts, little g. But now how I receive Jeremy is really a picture of how I receive Jesus. Because if I'm looking at him after the flesh and I'm not seeing him outside of the, and I'm seeing him outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, then I can get offended. You want to know why? Because Jeremy is human. And Jeremy can disappoint me. And I can disappoint Jeremy. And it can become any kind of thing. It can be a style of leadership. It can be you're not having an understanding on the way something was handled. It, it, it can be the, the fact that uh, there's, there's, there's an incredible load and stress and busyness and maybe one of our leaders walks by you one Sunday and you feel like you've been shirked, you've been skirted, somebody's ignored you. Oh my God in heaven, grow yourself up. Get over yourself. I, I'm serious. If... If coming into this place where the Spirit of God is moving in such a powerful way is so great and you can get offended enough because you think somebody ignored you one Sunday and leave, let me just show you where the door is because I need a team of people that have outgrown that level of immaturity. Now, come on. I'm serious. We need to. Now, babies get birthed in this place, and guess what? We need to give babies room to grow. That means that we love them, and we, for a period we coddle them. But when you're 21 years old in the faith, ain't nobody still going to be changing your diaper. Let me get back to the word and off of the Dennis the Menace part. Are you hearing anything this morning in this? How we receive Jesus' delegates is how we receive Jesus. Finally this morning, last principle. Our lives must demonstrate the life of Jesus and the transformation that His gospel brings. We're not consumed with money or finance or special funds or luxury ends or any of this stuff that the world is just possessed with. But we're all about a life that we're preaching and excited about living that can be radically different. And we have our heart focused. Our priority is set on the King of Kings. We're all about loving Jesus. We're following in His footsteps. For the Son of Man Himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And that's what God has called us to do, to get in mission with Him and to be on a team and to find a place to serve. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down. Am I, am I preaching pretty good right now? Look at this passage, and I'm finished this morning. Back to 2 Corinthians 5. This is where we have to make the decision that we're not going to be scandalized. We're not going to be caught under the trigger of the trap because we start looking at our brothers and sisters after the flesh. Notice where this passage is. 
This is so amazing when the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, and we've already read it, but look. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. That's verse 16. Now look at this one that you all know. We quote it all the time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, come on. Come on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means I'm not looking at Brenna according to the flesh. I'm not looking at Jay after the flesh. I'm not observing Brad after the flesh. I'm not looking at Dawn after the flesh. But I'm seeing my brothers and sisters. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. (coughs) The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's so easy to live life and get in the middle of my circumstances and once again every day not get offended before an old rugged cross with splinters, but it's before the cross of my relationship, my upreach to God and how I can get offended at Him and my outreach to my brothers and sisters and how I can get offended to them because it is the cross that is the stumbling block. It is the offensive place when my own life is crossed and what I want. My mind, my will, my emotions. The Bible says this. Jesus said, you know what? If you, if you labor to save your soul, then you lose it. He says, but if you lay down your soul, then you will find real life. The soul is made up of three things. My mind, my will, my emotions. My mind is what I think. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. And when God brings a cross into my life, not one I wear around my neck, not a railroad tie that has splinters in it 2,000 years ago, but the cross of relationships. It's the fact that I expect God to do something and He does it, but it doesn't come the way I expect it. It's the fact that I expect a relationship to bring something into my life and it it comes and it comes with blessing, but it leaves out something that I think is necessary that I don't find out till later that it's not so necessary after all. God, through history, has used people to do an amazing things. And there has only been one in history that has the claim of being perfect, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God has used broken people who are flawed. And when I look at the flaws, I'm judging according to the flesh and I'm not looking with a set of in Christ glasses. I'm not looking through a new filter to see that there is a new creation work of God going on there that moves outside of the restricted view of what I see on the outside. But there's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so this morning I just want to say to you, if there is a a place where you are, where you've tripped over what you think you know about me or our leadership or a brother or sister in this room or anybody whatsoever, l- let me just say that this is not an excuse for somebody to continue mistreating anyone. We're not talking about that at all. We're just talking about misunderstandings that come about and offenses that begin to arise. And when we get offended, guess what happens? We get pulled out of the ball game. We get sent to the showers. We're not in play. We're not on the field. We're not advancing the kingdom of God, but we have, we're in a place of offense. And so the ump of our life, the Holy Spirit says, no, you hit the showers. I don't need your attitude on the field. And sometimes people have been in the showers for 20 years. 
They get offended at God. They get offended at a pastor that maybe really did legitimately wrong them. And some of you may be sitting here this morning that may have been offended in a place and you're just sort of finding your way back in. You've been feeling the drawing of the Holy Spirit coming and you're with a little bit of apprehension going, you know what, I've, I've been wounded in church. And may I, may I just say something to you? And Please do not. I'm not in any kind of way. I don't want to be sarcastic. But so is everybody else in this room. Everybody in here, if you're honest, there's been some point when you've been offended. You've been hurt. And if you're still here, that's a testimony to your ability to move beyond the place of offense. If you're still walking with Jesus this morning, that's a testimony that some stuff has come in your life. If you've lived very long, if you've had some things happen that you've had to cry out to God and you've had to say, I know your word says, and we know that all things work together for good. But I'm telling you, God, I don't see it. I've gone to the woods. I've walked through Village Creek State Park and screamed at the top of my lungs, totally ticked off at God. What are you trying to do? Some of you, that just jars you beyond all understanding. But let me tell you, sometimes getting that honest with yourself and that honest with God is the very thing you need to do to get beyond, to get your healing. You prayed a prayer and the answer didn't come the way you expected it. You prayed for life and death occurred. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've Come on, I could, I could stop you right now and tell you some stories. I, if I think of them right now, I will tear up because of the pain that I know that's happened in this room to people with unexplicable things, inexplicable things. The stuff that happened over the course of my life with investing my, my confidence in someone and then having that literally not just, not just misunderstanding that, that brought hurt, but it was dashed to the ground and just brutally wounded for a season, putting my Bible on the shelf as a 16-year-old and doing everything except cursing God. I didn't do that. I had thankful for the fear of the Lord. I never made the gesture, but I'm going to tell you there was something in me as a rebellious teenager after a series of events that happened. I was basically ready just to flip God off and go, I am sick. I don't want anything to do with this kingdom of God because your people are nuts. Come on, how many of you? Come on, come on. You know, what, you know what makes victory different is we are real about this stuff. I have been there. I have been hurt. I have been wounded. I have put my trust in. I've put my confidence. And you know what? The very central verse, the very, very, very core, the very heart verse of the Bible says in Psalm 118, verse 8, it says, It is good to put your trust in the Lord and not in man. And sometimes it takes an offense for me to realize that ultimately my trust is not in anybody else except God. I believe this message has done what it was supposed to do this morning. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're in a place of personal offense. God wants to heal you and move you beyond that. Today, some of you are sitting in this room and you feel like a cloud has followed you since high school because of mistakes that you made and words that were spoken over you by your parents. And I'm telling you, in this place, we will no longer judge according to the flesh and your past is the past. It's covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you know Him and have Him in your life, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for helping me to communicate this word today. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, who does not know you as their personal Savior and Lord, I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do, that you draw them, 
You wrap your arms of love around them. You make them sense and feel and understand. You communicate, Lord, to them down in their knower that you've reached into their lives and you've touched and changed and transformed them. And Lord, by faith, they rise up now and take hold of that as a gift. Nothing to work for, nothing to earn, nothing to deserve because none of us can or even will for that matter. But it's only by your grace and through your faith that you give us. Jesus, come into our hearts, change our lives. Anybody under the sound of my voice, every head bowed, every eye closed, if anything in this message is spoken to you, or maybe you're that person, you need to leave this place today with the confidence that you have Jesus in your life. Any of these areas, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. Anybody in the room? Thank you. I see hands all over the place. Lord, you know the needs today. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, I ask you to speak right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Light into darkness. And if that's you and you don't know Jesus, say, come into my heart, Jesus. Save me. I trust you. Make that your prayer. Cry out to him right now. Others of you who raised your hands and there's been a place of offense. Listen, if anybody ever had a right to be offended, it was Jesus who never sinned and he hung on the cross and he took all of our sins upon him, the penalty, the payment for all of those. Jesus can sympathize with you. He knows how you feel. Let him come today. Lord, I pray that you fill us afresh with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to touch us and change our lives. Lord, we, we choose to move beyond. Help us to be healed from the places where we've been hurt. They, they may explain why we are the way we are, but they do not for a moment define who we are. They may mark our past, but they will not affect our future. Jesus, we choose to follow you and to let this stuff go. Heal us in Jesus' name I pray. All of God's people said. Put your hands together.